0: Carol Gold. Hi, it's Monday, May 2nd. I'm Carol Gold and welcome to Think for Yourself. I don't know about you, but there there was a child's game called Connect the Dots that I used to play, and what it was was a series of dots and they had numbers on them, and if you connected number 1 dot to number 2 dot to number 3 dot, etc., by the time you were done, you had drawn your own full picture. And it was a fun thing to do, but there is a reason to connect the dots outside of a child's game. There's a reason to connect the dots in reality. And that's what I like to do and that's what I encourage other people to do because I believe that thinking for yourself is in fact the adult way to play Connect the Dots. It's a way to keep yourself informed and then to connect that information in ways that creates a picture that is meaningful and hopefully a picture that is as true as is possible to portray. So playing connect the dots, I want to take a look at this disinformation governance board story because there's a timeline behind this story that I've put together in my own way of connecting the dots that I think brings particular meaning and depth to why this board was created. So I want to look at just the month of April. And I want to start with the first week of April when Elon Musk bought 9.2% of the shares of Twitter on April 14th. Now we're in the second week of April. Musk offered to purchase Twitter for $43 billion. The next day, on April 15th, the Twitter board voted to implement what's called a poison pill threat, where they said they would potentially act on a poison pill, which is, if you don't know, it's a common way to fend off potential hostile takeovers. It dilutes the stake of the entity that's eyeing the takeover. So it in essence would have diluted the power of Musk's share. The board decided to do that on April 15th because it was more determined to retain its tight hold on the censorship that happens on Twitter than it was to look at what was in the financial best interest of its shareholders, which is the fiduciary duty of the board to make decisions that are in the financial best interest of the shareholders. They weren't doing that when they were considering the poison pill. So that was April 15th. On April 21st, President Obama spoke at Stanford University. And if you remember on a prior podcast, I spoke about what he said. And what he in essence said was that he was committed to, and I'm going to paraphrase because it's not exactly what he said, but he was committed to more censorship, not less censorship on social media. That was on the 21st. On April 25th, Elon Musk bought Twitter. On that same day, April 25th, a man named Martin Barron, and I'll explain who he is later, spoke at an annual lecture that's given every year at MIT at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology called the Compton Lecture. And I'll get to what he said, but keep the date in mind, the same day that Elon Musk buys Twitter. And then finally, on April 27th, President Biden, by way of Alejandro Mayorkas, the head of Homeland Security, made public the fact that the Biden administration had created this disinformation governance board. Everything I just said happened in the month of April, sequentially. Now, who was Martin Barron? Martin Barron is a journalist and editor of the Washington Post from 2012 to 2021. He also has worked with the Boston Globe, the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, the Miami Herald. He's got a vast resume in journalism. At that April 25th MIT lecture, this is what he said, followed by the example that he gave. So here's the quote first of what he said. To get us back to a society firmly rooted in objective reality, I believe we will have to come up with answers to some urgent questions. Here are a few. What makes the human mind susceptible to falsehoods from non-experts and resistant to evidence-based facts from people with expertise? How can we better signal to the public that knowledge is not static? How can we get the public to better understand and weigh the risks they face in daily life? How do we better signal that there is a distinction between scientific facts and policy decisions? How can reality-based professionals disseminate information in a manner that is more persuasive to more people, end quote. Now he followed that with an example, and here's the example he gave. We know that vaccines work, he said. For decades they have rid the world of devastating illness and death, and yet a substantial portion of the public believes vaccines will sicken and even kill you. Nothing could be more threatening to the public's health than to deceive people about which medicines are safe and effective and which are quackery, with potentially fatal outcomes, end quote. So, there was between Barack Obama and the board of Twitter and Martin Barron and culminating in the Biden administration, a sequential and deliberately timed, in essence, opposition to what Elon Musk was doing, which was trying to turn Twitter into a more free space, public arena where people could speak their minds they were organized and sequential in opposing that. And again, ending with this disinformation governance board, which is more aptly called, as I did on my, I think, two podcasts ago, a ministry of truth, which is now what everyone is calling it. Not saying I coined the phrase, but, you know, I was early in on that one. The irony from Martin Barron is that as a journalist and former editor of the Washington Post, The Washington Post slogan under its banner, if you don't know it, is Democracy Dies in Darkness. It's so ironic because what Barron is proposing, what he is advocating for, is in fact darkness. He's talking about, number one, that the average public, the the poor citizen, needs, quote, expertise and professionals to tell them what to think. He's also using as an example, the COVID vaccine, when in fact, and he's right technically that vaccines work, and he's right that for decades, they've rid the world of devastating illness and death. But what he's not being honest about and what he doesn't want known, what he doesn't want explored and debated is that the mRNA technology was never a vaccine. It was never going to stop COVID. At best, it was going to mitigate its symptoms and its perhaps fatality if you got COVID and had not been vaccinated, and even that is suspect as is the injection itself. It became a vaccine when the CDC changed the definition of vaccine on its website in the middle of COVID because they realized that there was beginning to be articles and people talking on podcasts about the mRNA technology not actually being a vaccine as defined up to that point by the medical community and by the CDC itself. My particular problem is where were all these people and where was all this concern before, before Elon Musk bought Twitter? Because as I think for myself, I ask myself, their concern is all about what he may do with Twitter. But where was the concern about what Twitter was actually doing before Elon Musk bought it? Because Twitter was censoring, Twitter was canceling people, Twitter was blocking people from using the platform when they discuss things or mention things or referred to things or forwarded tweets, if, that's, if you do in fact forward a tweet, I'm not on Twitter, I don't know what the technical language is, a mention or whatever, that was what was happening on Twitter. So the joke is, only it's not a funny joke if you can have a joke that isn't funny, what's happening is they are anticipating that Elon Musk will stop the censoring, will stop the canceling, will stop deplatforming people, and they don't want that because spiritually people say we're in a war and the war is between dark and light. I think it's really easy when you're looking at the subject of free speech to decide who is on which side, the light or the dark. Free speech and full disclosure are the light. Censorship and withholding information is the dark. Darkness is hiding truth. At the very least, it's obscuring and manipulating the facts so the truth cannot be determined. Look, I'm a lawyer, I'm a mediator, I'm an intuitive, I'm a lot of things, I'm a mother, but I'm not a journalist. Following facts down a rabbit hole isn't my job, unless of course it's a case that I'm handling and I'm following the facts down the particular path of the case that I'm limited to advocating for or I'm representing a client. Following facts down a rabbit hole is the job of honest journalism, but journalists aren't doing their job. And that's why I think for myself, and that's why you need to think for yourself also. And I want to give you an example, and it's an example relating to COVID, but it's an example that's important because it wasn't covered by the news. And it's critical to understanding, in a sense, how we even got covid you know, during COVID, we heard a lot about President Obama, who during his administration terminated gain-of-function research and in 2014, and he did. On October 17th in 2014, the government, the Obama administration, issued a paper, issued a dictum, and it was titled, quote, US government gain-of-function deliberative process and research funding pause on selected gain-of-function research involving influenza MERS and SARS viruses Okay, October 17 2014 they put a pause on gain-of-function but there was a footnote in that paper there was a footnote in that announcement and that footnote was on page 2 and here's what it said an exception from the research pause may be obtained if the head of the USG funding agency determines that the research is urgently necessary to protect public health or public safety, end quote. So the footnote created an exception to the pause in gain-of-function research that was being funded by our tax dollars. And that's exactly what they did. They used the footnote, the Defense Department, under the guise of national security, permitted the Pentagon to continue funding the creation of SARS as a biological weapon in Wuhan, China, under the auspices of national security, which gave them the right to proceed under footnote two, because remember, it said there was an exception for public health or public safety, and the Defense Department used national security. If you think we didn't fund gain-of-function research, then let me tell you that between 2017 and 2020, grants from the Pentagon, remember the Pentagon is how they weaseled their way out of or around the pause. The Pentagon gave grants to Wuhan in the amount of six million four hundred and ninety-one thousand and twenty-five dollars through the Defense Threat Reduction Agency, DTRA, from 2017 to 2020. Then on January 9th, 2017, think about that date, January 9, 2017, 12 days before President Trump took office, Obama lifted the ban, technically reauthorizing the start of gain of function research or biological weaponization of SARS. Why does what is happening to Elon Musk in an attempt to shut down free speech matter? Why is Fauci's and others lying to the American people about gain of function research and its funding matter? Why does free speech matter? Let me give you a context that is, for me, extremely clear, and it's a context in which I worked my whole professional life as an attorney. In litigation, in any case, there is a period of time called discovery, and it is the time that precedes almost any court action or court involvement in the case itself, Discovery is exactly what it sounds like. It's a period of time when both sides have to exchange whatever information they have that is relevant to the disposition, to the resolution, or to the litigation or settlement, however it's going to happen, that is relevant to the case. I did divorce law for 15 years. In divorce, the discovery is all about marital assets. It's all about factually determining the value of the marital home, of any retirement assets, of any investments that you that the parties may have, any additional property they may own, any bank accounts they have, et cetera. The reason you have to disclose these things in a divorce case is because when you are dividing up the marital estate, meaning both the marital assets and the marital debt, You have to be looking at the full picture so that when you divide up those both assets and debts as between the husband and the wife, they're divided fairly, they're allocated fairly. And if you don't know them all, then you can't create a picture in the end or a disposition of the case that is fair to both sides. Which is why, if you withhold vital information, if one party knows that the couple owns three other investment properties, that the one party didn't know about, and they don't disclose them in divorce, it may be grounds for opening up the final decision and distribution of assets between the parties because there was basically fraud in the inducement. There was the, a non-disclosure. There was a deliberate and willful non-disclosure that caused one party to rely on a set of facts that were not the truth, that were not the full picture. In criminal cases, if one side withholds what's called exculpatory evidence, meaning evidence that would otherwise indicate that the accused is not, in fact, guilty of the crime for which they have been accused and for which they are being tried. If the prosecution, let's say, withholds such evidence, it's called exculpatory evidence, then that in itself can be grounds for a dismissal or a reversal or an, a subsequent acquittal or whatever may be, or sanctions by the court against the prosecution for so doing. The reason that the law has these features in the law, the reason that you have to fully disclose all relevant information, is so that a just end can be reached, so that the truth, as much as it can be known, is in fact available to both sides of an argument, to both sides of litigation. That's why what Elon Musk is trying to do and why they are trying to stop him is so important. That's why Dr. Fauci and others who lied about gain of function research is important. It's important because if you don't disclose, when you don't disclose, when you withhold the equivalent of exculpatory evidence, meaning when you withhold facts that are critical, that are germane to the determination of an outcome. You are controlling the outcome by withholding critical evidence, by withholding critical information. And that's what has happened in this country on more than one subject, on the Southern border, on COVID, anything and almost everything having to do with free speech. There is an attempt to control it, to withhold vital information, to manipulate outcomes, for political agendas, which are all about power and all about control and all about greed, because it's in the end all about money. Today I had someone ask me, well, what can we do? I mean, you know, should we hope that the Republicans win in, in the midterms? Do we, you know, should we hope for a new Republican president? What should we do? My answer is, this isn't a political problem. The apparent political problem is a symptom of an underlying disease. The underlying disease isn't the political system. It isn't the judicial system. The underlying disease is the culture. The underlying disease is that we as individuals are not being, are not living our highest selves. And because even though we are individuals with individual free will, we still function somewhat As a collective, meaning we're all connected. And as long as too many of us are willing to live under the thumb of oppression, are too willing to acquiesce to things we know are not right and are not true, as long as enough of us refuse to stand up and be heard about the things that we feel are important, and stand up and be heard about what we will not tolerate, and I mean literally stand up and be heard, because I don't think voting is the solution. The voting system may or may not be corrupted, but it doesn't matter. Because as long as we keep voting in the same kinds of people who give us the same kind of governance, even if you think that Donald Trump made a difference, He was very limited in what he could do because he's controlled, in a sense, by the Congress, which flows the money, and the entrenched bureaucracy, which is what we call the deep state, those people who are there administration after administration after administration, who don't have to account to anyone because they're not elected. They're entrenched and ensconced in the positions they're in. So that leaves us. But here's the thing. It's always been this way. There are so many more of us than there are of them. We need to reach that tipping point where enough of us are vocal enough and organized enough and brave enough to say to the few, because they really are the few, no more. And to do it as peacefully as possible, but to do it with what I call righteous anger. Righteous anger is you've crossed the boundary You're now in the minimal amount of space I need to survive. And to that extent, I will defend my space to the death. It doesn't have to be literal death. It may just be death of the way of life we've grown accustomed and soft and used to living. It may mean some rocky times. It may mean death of a pattern. But like every caterpillar who has to go through an end, the result is a butterfly. There is always a new beginning after an ending. Even if it's a tragic ending, it always creates space for new life, for new birth, for new beginnings. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again on Wednesday. And until I am, I hope I've given you all the reasons why you should think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's Carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.